Okay, cook. Underestimated and still I made it. In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated. Nobody told me, looked over, but still dedicated. Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favored. Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, if never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB Precision, television, they ain't ask for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just respect it, it's honest. Run through opponents, watch the film, it's effective, I promise. Sit back and grab your popcorn, watch me go to work. And tackle all of these topics right here on Face First. Uh. Man, it's so impressive when Kel finishes that. I get so excited. Man, it's been like two weeks since I was here. I was supposed to, we were supposed to have a Face First podcast last week. I had to do my other job, which is training athletes, training football players uh, mostly because, I mean, shoot, it's, it's what I know. Why would I train? I want to train hoopers too. I just don't think anybody wants to learn from a 5'11 free safety who didn't necessarily play the game with grace. And so I don't know how that works in to the Euro step. But when you start a podcast or when you do something like this, it all kind of depends on why you start it, how you start it, and some different things. I just started this because there were things I wanted to say and I wanted to talk about that my bosses didn't necessarily want to hear every week or every day or during that type of news cycle. And so I was like, man, there are things I want to say, stuff I want to get out to people, topics I want to talk about and share, and I don't really have a platform to do it. Well, luckily, I know people. And so I called Matt Moscone and I was like, hey, Matt, can I do a podcast? Can I borrow the studio? He was like, sure. And this was after I did like this big, huge Troy Achilles thing. So I'm he's in my debt forever. Like it was just that much fun. And when I was coming in last week, I wanted to talk about the Super Bowl because obviously, well, that's what we should have talked about last week. But I didn't get to come in. And I'm actually excited about that because it let me not just think about the Super Bowl as a game with Kansas City finding a way to come back from down 10. The only team that has done that three times in a row in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes is already a Hall of Fame. You know, blah, 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 blah. Those were going to be the things that I was going to get to talk about. But now I could just talk about my week because it's my podcast. So I can actually talk about the things that happened to me. And it was one of the greatest weeks ever. And I'm not putting it up there with, you know, having kids and all those things. I know every time we point to like all these events, we point to the typical events that people would expect we hold near and dear to our hearts that forever remain memories that we cherish well this week was that kind of week for me the last time I got an opportunity to do a podcast it was the day after Kobe Bryant passed away and it was a little different it was me just being a fan and getting the opportunity to share what I felt about my favorite basketball player well I do that on Monday I fly to Miami on Tuesday, and I'm basically having the Kobe Bryant conversation with anybody that will have it with me just because I wanted to talk about it. Because I wanted people to tell me how great they now thought he was because you got to see all of these different things about him, so many different 
interviews and and podcasts and different shows he's done. All of these things start to come out, even stories of him visiting sick kids and not wanting PR around, not wanting cameras around. And so I wanted to talk about all these things so I could be like, see, I told y'all Kobe was a great dude, but that was kind of what I wanted to talk about. And so then I'm working. I get an opportunity to speak about Kobe on Get Up on Wednesday. We're having this this week and my wife is down with me in Miami and my closest football friend, his name is Troy Palomalu. He's now uh, a Hall of Famer. I don't know if I get to call him a Hall of Famer now or if I have to wait till he actually gets the bust and the gold jacket, but he's in Hall. Of, he's a Hall of Famer. He was a Hall of Famer before this. He's legit the, the best dude I know, the best person. I am a better person for having played with him, but more so for having him be my friend. And we're sitting on the beach. I'm, I'm throwing the football with his son, Paisios, and we start to talk about Kobe because of all the people I know, he's the person I'm the closest to who actually met him. And along with having being close to me, having, having actually met Kobe Bryant, he's also the greatest football player I've ever played with. And so I'm super excited to have this conversation with him. And we start to have the conversation and I'm looking at this dude who, can, who did all of these things that I couldn't do. And he said, when I was around Kobe, when I met him, he made me nervous. Now, if you know Troy, you know Troy's nervous a lot. Like all that stuff, jumping over the, the, the line of scrimmage and blitzing when he's not supposed to and all of these things that all of us had to cover up for so he could finally get this gold jacket. I'm just playing. That's not why he got it. He'd have got it playing with anybody. But he was often fearful and he would talk about it and he would pray about it. But he said being around Kobe Bryant made him nervous. He said because you could almost feel the greatness. He said he had an aura around him that made you feel inferior and he also wasn't scared to talk about it or to talk about other people and so he's he's telling me this story on the beach and obviously for 30 minutes i'm silent and listening because this is basically one of my favorite football players of all time talking about my favorite basketball player of all time they're both two of the greatest to ever do it and i just want to listen and so we have this conversation. We talk. I throw the football on the beach. The next night, he has a dinner. His whole family comes into town because, like I expected, they expected him to get into the Hall of Fame. And so in typical Troy fashion, he doesn't text when he gets the knock. He doesn't call anybody. He celebrates with his family. But I'm watching him give an interview with Missy Matthews of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's crying, which I didn't expect. Because the only time I ever heard Troy Palomalu speak about the Hall of Fame was when he called me the week before the Super Bowl week to ask me if I would be in town to say he wanted to see me. And he mentioned, and he's, gonna, he's not going to fight me because he's my boy and, well, he just doesn't care much. But he called me and he said, man, I've tried to distance myself so much from football. I feel like this is going to bring me back in. And it started to make me think about him and the way he played the game. And I remember when he won the MVP in 2010, I texted him because we weren't together. I was like, man, congratulations. His next, his first text to me was, thank you. I couldn't have done it without you. And I was like, well, that's a lie. Like, dude, you've been balling forever. But it was cool because it was Troy. That's truly who he is. He thinks he, he believes and he feels and he knows it's about God's grace and the people around him. 
Same exact thing. I'm waiting. One, I'm mad because he didn't tell me first. I would have liked to known to have known that he was a Hall of Famer before Adam Schefter did. I felt like I earned that. Adam Schefter didn't play the deep middle when you was blitzing and it was cover three, totally abandoning your zone. Adam Schefter didn't have to play the half by playing the middle of the field by almost playing the hook because you decided that you were going to pick off the hitch when you were supposed to be playing quarters on the inside. That was me. You're supposed to call me first. But anyway, somebody else calls Shefty, and Shefty knows before I do. That's another story. We will talk about that another another day. And so I text Troy again. I say, TP, man, congrats, bro. You truly deserve this. And he says it again. Thank you, brother. I love you. I couldn't have done it without you. I said, well, that's nice and all, but it's a lie. It's okay. I will accept it. And so we get together, and we know that night, the Steelers had already set up a dinner. And in setting up the dinner, it was because Donnie Shell made it in. Bill Cower had already made it in. And we expected Troy to make it in. And we were hoping that Alan Fanica, who I believe is, in Hall, is a Hall of Famer and should be a Hall of Famer, would make it in as well. Would they put four Steelers in at one time? Probably not. It would seem a little bit much. But hey, when you win six championships, things like this happen. And so... We, we go to this party, and I'm sitting at a table with Mel Blunt, Rod Woodson, and Troy Palomalu. If you ever want to feel very inferior, line your table up like that. It was nuts. And Mel Blunt and Rod Woodson are telling these stories about Mel Blunt's talking about having to fight for $5,000 more on a contract because they won't give it to him. Rod Woodson's talking about the same thing, and they're sharing the story of the guy who at the time did the contracts for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the exact same phrase he told those guys 10 years apart when they were negotiating their deals. We're talking about two of the top 100 players in the NFL speaking about fighting for money. Like this has been forever. And I'm listening to these stories and listening to them talk about training and the way they approach the game. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I probably don't even belong at this table. But you soak it up because those are the things that happen when God has grace on your life and when you're blessed beyond what you should be. And so we're in there. And so Joe Green is there and Franco Harris and just the who's who. And there's Alan Fanica and Ike Taylor and James Harrison. And so there are all these players and everybody is speaking. So Mr. Art Rooney, he speaks first. Then he comes over and he taps me and he asks me to speak about Troy. Then Joe Green speaks. And what you hear from everybody is just that, you know what? Like the Steelers are different. It's a family. It's the reason they win. It's the reason they are who they are. It's what you hope they get back to so they can win another championship. And I was sitting next to Coach Cower. They signed me after Chris Hope, who was the free safety when they won the Super Bowl in 2005 season. He went to Tennessee for more money. And I get there and I ball out in camp. I become the starter, but they basically tell me we drafted this guy and we're going to give him a chance to play at some point. I ball out for 12 games. They couldn't replace me. And not in the sense that I was just that good, but what I'm saying is they wanted to play somebody else, but they just couldn't because I wouldn't let him get on the field. And so Coach Kyle is kind of talking to me and he slides over to me and he tells me, he said, I knew you were the right one. He said, Chris was thinking about leaving. They send me the tapes of all these different guys. And I say in the meeting, 
and it, it was crazy. He didn't say that I was the right one for the team. That wasn't the statement. He told me, he said, I knew you were the right one for Troy. And that was deep to me. That was dope. Because I spent my eight years there trying to be the right one for him. Trying to make sure he could do what he was blessed to do differently than anybody who's ever played the game, which is evident by being a first ballot Hall of Famer. And again, Troy, he's he's deflecting and thanking everybody. And, and so he sits down and in typical Troy fashion goes, bro, they want me to speak. I got to drink this wine. Right? Because, you know, you've seen him. It's like Michael Jackson kind of talking. It's like, oh, thank you. God willing. Everything you ask him to is God willing. TP, I'm going to see you down the street. God willing. Troy, it's literally you're walking from the facility to the next facility over the parking lot. If you don't make it over there, bro, I just don't know. And so he gets up to talk, and this is after everybody else has, has spoken, and he starts by saying thank you. He thanks his wife and other Steeler wives for everything that they've always given to allow players to be who they are. And then he says, it's not about, he said, no disrespect, but it's not about being a Hall of Famer. And I was like, well, shoot, well, why in the hell are we here then, TP? If that's not what it's about. Should could have fooled me. And he said, when Donnie Shell, when Rod Woodson, when Mel Blunt, Joe Green, when all of those men who are also in the Hall of Fame say, you deserve this, he told them, what I hear is, you're a stealer. And I thought that was dope. He said he said he said he only played for the respect of the people around him so the other things didn't matter. And I was like, "Wow. Smart." Cuz that's something you can earn. That's something that is an intangible, but it's tangible when you feel it. It's tangible when they let you know. It's tangible when they become brothers and families and you win championships and still to this day when you get elected to the hall of fame they come out to a dinner and say things about you that you've never heard other grown men say about people their age say about other adult men and i thought it was the one of the dopest things to ever be around because i'm a football junkie and to be around that and to hear him say it was only about the people in this room respecting me and then the turn to executives who were in the room and say, you guys have to understand this isn't a business to us. This is about life. And to hear that, it lets you know that the way that the greats approach this game is not in a way so they are counted as great. It's so they give great effort. It's so they give great output. So what they get in return is also great. And I thought, just being around them and hearing those things were poignant. It was amazing. And so the week goes on and I go to the Super Bowl. Now, guys, I know you might think it's glamorous to get to work the Super Bowl. It is not, unless you're like one of the dudes. I right now am not one of the dudes. So I sit way up in the press box and I know you're gonna be like, oh, but you get to go to the Super Bowl. Ooh, but I played it too. I played in two of them. 
So getting a chance to go to one, it's like, ah, oh, it's cool. But not if you don't really know anybody that's playing. If you're just kind of sitting there. But I knew somebody playing in this Super Bowl. Tyron. Tyron Matthew. Um, I just think it's one of the greatest success stories, not only in football, but in life. And so much was focused on Andy Reid and redemption and having coached 21 years and won all of these games and done all of these amazing things, having had a Hall of Fame career without the crowning achievement of a Super Bowl. And that's what everybody talked about. But anybody who is from this area in Louisiana, anyone who went to LSU, who's ever been a fan or who just likes, I don't know, animals that roam the wild like the honey badger, you know about Tyron Matthew. You know that he was a Heisman finalist as a sophomore, didn't play as a junior, had run-ins, had a run-in with the law. And so you have all these things happen. He spoke about what turned him around in being in jail and having people saying, you're not supposed to be here. And then you hear all the things coming into the draft. Can he stay straight? Can he do the right things? Can he do that? Can he do this? All he's done is been an all-pro, been a pro bowler, never gotten into any trouble, became a captain, and is now a Super Bowl champion. And coming into the week, because of some of the things that transpired before, I sent out a tweet. I said, I am not a picture guy because I'm not. I just like to live in the moment. You know, I'm like, hey, we're here. Why do I need to take this picture? Because I'll remember it. And then I started to think about all of my homeboys' birthdays. And when they come up and I try to, like, post something and say, hey, man, happy birthday. I cannot because I don't have pictures with them because I don't ask for them or I don't take them. Or even when I see people who I consider celebrities, I'm never like, hey, man, can I get a snap with you? Can I get a picture? Because I don't like bothering people because I don't like taking pictures. So I just figure you don't like taking them either. We're on the field. I see Tyron. We embrace. We hug. And he's just grateful. He, he, he wasn't like, yeah, I did this and this and that. He told me, thank you. And then you look at his tweets, thanking the media for the people who has shared his story from where he started from the beginning to where it is now. And when you see a guy who has overcome what he's overcome and not only become a well-respected football player, but a leader. I'm sitting in the stands and even though I'm really high up in the air, like nosebleeds of the nosebleeds, I can see Tyron warming up. And you see, whether it's Aeneas Williams, if it's Prime, you see all of these players who are big-time players, who are Hall of Famers, who are all pros, who are legends of the game, run to hug him. Is part of that his story? Absolutely. Is part of that his talent? Absolutely. Most of it is just respect. Because we all face certain things. They're always obstacles and adversity and there are different things that you have to overcome but not so many of them are as public as his trials and tribulations have been an all pro year and blowing out of ACL coming back and doing it again when you have all of these things happen and these are the things you have to overcome when you have to go out and sign a one-year prove-it deal with the Houston Texans and be everything you need to be there, still not getting re-signed and go to Kansas City. And yeah, when he went to Kansas City, he became the highest paid guy in the league along with Earl Thomas and Landon Collins, but he earned it. 
And then even midseason, I sent out a tweet about how terrible the Kansas City Chiefs defense is. And he told me to keep the same effing energy. He said, all we need is a few dogs. And you know what? I said, hey, bro, when it changes, I will change. When the film is different, the, the critique will be different. The analysis will be different. And it started to be different. And it started to be different when he moved into nickel, when he moved into dime, when he got an opportunities to do more, the defense became better because he's that freaking good. And so when I'm on the field with him and I, they're, you know, they, they have all these people that go out and they grab different talent or different players to try to get them on the podium or try to get them on set. So one of the young ladies comes up to me, Jess Krause, hey, RC, can you help me get Tyron Matthew? I was like, I'll try. Right, because you never know how how it's gonna be. You know, it's the Super Bowl and there are families there. And so when he embraces me and when he shows me love, because this is a dude I met going into his sophomore year when he was leading seven on sevens and one on ones at the LSU indoor, because he was the guy then. That guy just grew up. That guy no longer has to be in the shell or be ashamed for things that he's almost missed. Because he's made every second count since his name was called in the third round by the Arizona Cardinals. And to watch and listen to people talk about him, to see Twitter and see the the unashamed, non-embarrassed men to say, you know what, bro? Your story inspires me. For people to put ego aside and understand how inspirational his life has been to this point. The things that he's had to overcome, and it's not perfection. The same way I talked on the last podcast about learning to love Kobe through the imperfections and the overcoming of trials and tribulations, it's the same thing with him. And then I have all this happen, and I have this great week. It's the greatest week I've had that I wasn't involved in wearing pads in as far as sports are concerned. And then you got to come back to real life. That's what football is, right? It's a season, and it's great, and it's over. And that's what it is for a career. It's some seasons, and it's great. It's a season in your life, and it's over. And so here's the thing that happened to me after leaving that week and realizing that the rest of life has to go on. That's what it is for people who retire. That's what it is when this game is over. And so it got me to thinking about retirement. And these three individuals, Kobe Bryant, a man that many hated for his two decades of basketball. Many began to love in his three years of retirement. They loved the mentor. They loved the father. They loved the husband. They loved the writer. Right? They loved the screenplay developer. And so we saw all of these different things about him in retirement that made you love him. And Troy Palomalu, who has distanced himself for the last five years from this game because he didn't want to be football. He wanted to be a husband and he wanted to be a father and he just wanted to be a man. And he never loved what people said about him. He never fell in love with the attention. He never fell in love with the fame. He fades away, but he comes back to be recognized in retirement for what he did while he played the game. And for him to accept that love, for him to accept that achievement, for him to share that not only with his family, but to share it with us, to share it with his friends. Those are things that you can't put a price on. And then it got me to thinking about Tyron's retirement. 
and how and I hope it's years from now. I hope it's many Super Bowls from now and all pros. And I hope that five years after he retires, we are having the same discussion about discussion about him that we had about Troy Palomalu or that we're having about him. But to watch him change his life from his sophomore year at LSU to now and what that will mean for him going forward. What that will be like when he's retired. If he wants to coach, if he wants to do TV, if he wants to just sit at his house and raise his kids and be a dad and be a father, he has earned that right. Because now in retirement, it doesn't have to be a fight. He doesn't have to scratch. He doesn't have to scrape because he did the right things to fix it before that. And so as I move into this offseason, because like I told you in the beginning, it's my show. I get to do the stuff that I want to do. We're going to do a lot of different things. Yeah, we'll talk about the draft and we'll talk about people who prepares people for the draft. And we'll talk about the players who are in it. You will actually hear from them. We're going to talk some real life stuff. What happens when you're depressed and retired? What happens when nobody's there? What happens when the people aren't clapping, when the lights aren't on? Because I get to. And we're going to have fun. I'm going to bring on my kids. I'm going to get Matt out here to talk some crazy stuff again once the spring starts for LSU because I don't know if we're going to win 14 again. And I want to hear Matt talk about it. And so we're going to have a great time in this offseason like I'm trying to work to have a great time in retirement. And I finally am. You get an opportunity to follow passions and do things you love. You got to do them because we don't get a we don't have an infinite amount of time to get there. There is no tomorrows. Now, you hope your eyes open and you wake up and there's a today. But there are no tomorrows. There are no saying we're going to put things off and wait until that happens or wait until everything's right. The reason that this took me five years after retirement to do, because I'm one of those dudes. If I don't have this straight, if I don't have this set, if I don't have this set, I'm not going to do it. We have to get out of that mindset. We got to move forward and be different in our thinking, different in our actions if we want to be different in our results. So, yep, it was one of the best weeks ever. And then I hit the week after and I got to remember that there is no NFL football on Sunday and the Tigers don't play for over 200 days. But we're going to have fun and we're going to enjoy it and we're going to do some different things. This is Ryan Clark. DB Precision's face first. We appreciate you. See you in a week or two. In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated. Nobody told me looked over, but still dedicated. Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favorite. Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, if never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB Precision, television, ain't asked for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just respect it, it's honest. Run through opponents, watch the film, it's effective, I promise. Sit back and grab your popcorn, watch me go to work. And tackle all of these topics right here on Face First. Uh.